You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. Let's well, good to see you this evening. If you would, please join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 15. And this evening we come to the 21st verse, Matthew chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 28. Verse 21 says this, And going away from there, Jesus withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and were pleading with him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and was bowing down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time and His Word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies to us. They are indeed mercies. Explained not by us, but by your grace and your love. And I pray that tonight as we look at these verses, that truth would be driven home deep to our hearts. That we would be humbled by what we see. That we would be filled with joy and praise by what we see, that we would be able to identify with this woman and understand that only your kindness to us explains our deliverance. Thank you, Lord, for the precious opportunities we have to worship together. Thank you for the way they are your ordained means for our sustenance, how they encourage us and spur us on, or this is the way that you have chosen to sustain us and to bring us all the way home, and we thank you for this. So we ask your blessing on this next hour. We'll give you praise and thanks for what you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All of Scripture is something that the unbeliever has no appetite for. I know you can remember what it was like for you before the Lord saved you. You may have had some curiosity about the Bible. You may have had some interest on that kind of level to study the Bible or read it. But in terms of being able to be nourished by it, in terms of resonating with its message in your heart, in terms of having a hunger for it, you didn't know that. That was something that came to you only after the Lord saved you. Unbelievers don't have any real appetite for the words of God. 
Having noted that, that general attitude towards Scripture, it is true to say that there are certain parts of Scripture that the unbeliever finds especially distasteful, certain sections that are in fact offensive to unbelievers. What God's Word says shocks their sensibilities. They don't find it to be right. Hard sayings, difficult things for the unbeliever to hear. This is one of those sections. If you don't accept the sovereign rights of Almighty God over all humanity, I mean, to, to deal with men as He chooses to deal with people. If you don't accept the sovereign right of God to afford special status to a particular nation, the nation of Israel, I mean, by virtue of a covenant relationship with that people that, that God chose, you can't explain what we read here. And if you don't believe in His right to do that, then you're going to find this offensive. If you don't accept that man deserves nothing and that all of God's mercies are gracious mercies, then this passage will be especially offensive to you. But if you have met with the grace of God in Jesus Christ, if you admire the change that God brings about in the hearts of people whom He saves, if you recognize if you have the capacity to recognize the wisdom of God as He deals with people in a way that puts His work in them on display and puts His own character on display, if you recognize the beauty of humility, then this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of God's Word. This is not offensive. This is beautiful. So that this section not only gives us light from the Lord. It tests our spiritual condition. What do we conceive of God's rights consisting of? What do we believe He has the right to do, the right not to do? This passage will test us. I want us to look at these verses under four headings. The first one is this. We see a desperate mother, a desperate mother, verses 21 and 22. Going away from there, Jesus withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. First thing I want you to notice is the identity of this woman. Jesus has, has left the previous scene, no longer in the presence of the Pharisees and the scribes and the crowds. He has withdrawn, the Bible says. Jesus withdrew, and He goes into the district of Tyre and Sidon. That's Gentile territory. If you look at a map, you're going to see that Tyre and Sidon, cities located on the Mediterranean coast... Tyre, about 30 miles from Galilee, Sidon, about 50 miles from Galilee. These were Phoenician cities. This is why Mark refers to this woman as a Syrophoenician, because those Phoenician cities belonged to Syria. Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite woman. 
reminding us that she's not only a Gentile, but she has descended from an ancient enemy of the Jewish people. This should not be a woman looking for the Messiah. This is not a woman who would have had any natural interest in the Jewish Messiah. She has trouble. She has desperate trouble. Why is she making her way to Jesus? She tells us why. Her daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. I don't know how she learned about Jesus. I don't know how she learned about his identity. But the, the way she addresses him is amazing. She addresses him as Lord. She addresses him as son of David, which is a messianic reference. And she believes that Jesus has the power to help her. And she regards such help as mercy. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And as the rest of the narrative will, will show, these are not superficial words. This is not a woman saying what she thinks she needs to say just to get help. Jesus will marvel at her faith. This is genuine faith. And the fact that Matthew records it speaks to us in ways that we might not immediately perceive. D.A. Carson did a good job of summarizing sort of the message behind the message. He wrote this, it not only records Jesus' withdrawal from the opposition of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, but contrasts their approach to the Messiah with that of this woman. They belong to the covenant people, but take offense at the conduct of Jesus' disciples, challenge His authority, and are so defective in understanding the Scriptures that they show themselves not to be plants the Heavenly Father has planted. But this woman is a pagan, a descendant of ancient enemies, and one who has no claim on the God of the covenant. Yet in the end, she approaches the Jewish Messiah and with great faith asks only for grace, and her request is granted. You get the contrast when you take the previous section with this one. The people who should have responded with faith prove themselves to be hostile to their own king, while a woman who descends from an ancient enemy of God's people, one who can only have the Jewish Messiah as her king by the mercy of God, she has faith. The people of God, the Pharisees, the scribes have no faith, this ancient enemy of God's people. She has faith. This is the desperate mother. The second thing we meet with is a seemingly uncaring master. Have mercy on me. My daughter's cruelly demon-possessed, next verse, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and were pleading with him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. Can we admit that this seems very unlike Jesus, doesn't it? A woman crying out for help for her little girl 
And he doesn't even answer her. He just keeps walking. Why does he not answer her? If not for the rest of the narrative, we we might think that maybe he knows she's a fraud. Maybe she's come with these confessions, but in truth, she only wants help. We know that's not true. You might think Jesus is just unmoved by her situation. The text in a moment will also dismiss that idea. Not only by what he does for her, but in the way that he does it. No, what what I want to say is the reason why he responds the way that he does is because of what he knows he intends to do. I think about when Jesus fed the multitudes and he tells his disciples to go get food for them because he knew what he intended to do. He is responding in a way that is going to put on display what he knows is in her and to put on display what is true of himself and true of God. But he seems indifferent to the situation. He seems like he doesn't care. The disciples are are somewhat agitated, aren't they? The disciples come in there pleading with Jesus. Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. By the way, it seems clear that they don't mean just send her away. They mean, will you grant what she's asking for? Will you help her? I say that because of the way that Jesus answers them. How does he answer his disciples? Verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If all you're asking him to do is just send her away, it doesn't matter whether she's a Jew or a Gentile. It seems clear they're asking Jesus to grant what she's requesting. His answer is, this is not my task. This is not my assignment. How does Jesus explain his seeming indifference? It has to do with the singularity of his focus, the singularity of his mission. He has come into the world to accomplish a very important and very specific mission. One aspect of that mission, the, the one that is somewhat restricted, is he has come to offer himself to Israel as their Messiah, as their king. The entire nation is being described when the Bible talks about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not a distinction between those who are truly sheep and those who are not. The entire nation is described as lost, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he has come to reveal himself to them as their Messiah. We know, and it is true, he has come to offer himself the sin sacrifice for the whole world. But in terms of presenting himself as the king of Israel, that is a more restrictive mission. So that the miracles that he's performing and the sermons that he's preaching, these are signs. Signs for a people prepared for the signs. They have revelation from God that has prepared them to recognize their king. He has come matching the picture. Here is how he's going to come. Here is what he's going to do. This is what you need to be looking for. He is here. He has arrived. The people of Israel are meant to recognize him. 
What Jesus is doing is not some general kind of activity. It is not some haphazard activity. By God's design, it is purposeful activity, and it had to begin with Israel. We learned this earlier in Matthew chapter 10. Just flip back to Matthew 10 for just a moment. And look at verse 5. I want to just remind you of what we've already seen together. Matthew 10 verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable, or more bearable rather, on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So, so now, at that point, his vision begins to expand to the future. But as it begins, you see, I don't want you to go anywhere among the Gentiles or the Samaritans. I'm sending you to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel must come first. The witness must begin with Israel. So that, by God's sovereign will, that nation had a historic, strategic part to play. For that reason, they stand in the place of priority as the earthly mission of Jesus plays out. What he's saying to his disciples is, he is not answering her because she doesn't belong to the people for whom these signs are chiefly designed. She has no covenant expectation connected to what she's asking for. It's an amazing answer. Third thing I want you to notice, you have this desperate mother, you have this seeming indifference on the part of Jesus. Third thing you see, an astounding meekness. An astounding meekness. Verse 25, but she came and was bowing down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. How would this woman respond to the silence of Jesus? She was persistent loves her daughter, cares about her condition, won't let it go, keeps shouting out after the disciples of Jesus, makes her way to the Lord Jesus, keeps bowing herself down before Him, pleading 
for mercy. He answers that with a point about what is proper. When he says it's not good, that that word has to do with what is proper, what's appropriate. He's using an illustration, but it's an amazing illustration. It's at this point that what we read would be especially shocking and offensive to unbelieving ears. Because here's the comparison. You're in a household, you have your children... There is food that has been set apart for your children. You don't take what has been assigned to your kids and give it to the pet. You don't take what is meant for your children and give it to the animals in the house. That would be improper. Now, in that comparison, Israel represents the children. The Gentiles then represent the family pet. Leon Morris says Jesus' answer is on the surface a harsh one. He appeals to family life with a reminder that the children's bread is to be used for the children and not thrown to the dogs. He goes on to try to explain it, William Barclay did as well, with the fact that all we have are the words of Jesus. We're not given His facial expressions. We're not given His tone. And so they, they imagine that perhaps Jesus said this with a twinkle in his eye or a smile on his face. The Bible doesn't say that. I don't know. I, I actually tend to think probably the opposite. I, I think his words were straightforward. Because I think, again, what God is doing is putting on display his marvelous work in that woman's soul. And Jesus knows what he intends to do. We could say this is a test. In other words, what he's saying is, you don't deserve for me to do it. I don't owe it to you. So what does she do? Verse 27, she argues for mercy. But she said, this is important. You may want to circle these first two words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. This is beautiful humility. This is amazing meekness. This is complete submission. Yes, Lord. In other words, what you say is true. It would be improper to take the children's food and give it to the dogs. Yet, Lord. Yes, Lord, but even. But yet, Lord. Given that illustration, dogs do take from the crumbs that fall off the table. I'll embrace the illustration. Israel, the children, a Canaanite woman, one of the dogs. But I'm not asking for what belongs to the children. I'm asking, would you spare me the crumbs? Jesus, you're the Lord. Israel is like a child of yours. I'm an outsider, not worthy to be prioritized with the children. But can I have some crumbs by you granting my cries for mercy? How do you explain that kind of response? The grace of God. God's work in a human soul. That's how you explain it. This is not how the unregenerate mind responds 
to God and to his truth, to his sovereign rights, to man's lack of a right to receive anything from God. This is not how the unregenerate mind responds. You see the contrast. You have the physical sons of Abraham, Pharisees, scribes, offended at Jesus when they had no reason to be offended. And you have this Canaanite woman not offended at Jesus. When any worldling would hear what he said and say she has every reason to be offended. But she's not. And now the fourth thing I want you to see is the gracious deliverance. The gracious deliverance, verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. I said earlier that Jesus was not indifferent. He was not. And the proof of that is that his statement begins with emotion. Oh, woman. He's moved by what he sees. He delights in what he sees and hears. He is pleased by what he hears. He identifies what explains her response. Not only does he delight in it, but he explains what what explains it when he says, your faith is great. What is on display is her faith. And then he declares his willingness to grant what she desires, it shall be done for you as you wish. What you want, you're going to receive. And then the Bible tells us that her daughter was healed immediately. That woman's humility, her meekness, her submissiveness was the result of God's work in her heart. That's why she had genuine faith. And because of the way that Jesus dealt with this situation... His glory is on display. Her beautiful humility is on display. Her amazing faith is on display. Her daughter is delivered. So that what this world would find offensive was in fact beautiful. Beautiful. What is God doing in your life that we could all misunderstand. You know, you think about Job. You think about all that he went through. He had three friends that thought they understood it all when they didn't understand at all. But in the end, God is glorified. Job grows in his understanding. His friends had misunderstood. I wonder what is going on in your life that not only... Your friends might misunderstand. You might misunderstand. Put it another way, how often does it seem that God is dealing with His children, His servants, harshly when in fact it is great love in operation? Oh Lord, why do your people suffer as they do? Why do you allow them to go through some of the things that you do? Why, Lord? Why the mistreatment? Why the martyrdom in some cases? Why the imprisonments? Why the separation of families through persecution? Why would a good God, a loving God, allow His own people to go through some of the things that they do? 
we think we're witnessing harshness when in fact it is sovereign, wise love in operation. This seems harsh, but it's not. It's love. I want to encourage you with that. I don't know what you've dealt with of late. I don't know what might feel especially burdensome, heavy, sad, discouraging, fearful. But I want you to know, child of God, you are always loved. You are always loved. I want to finish with a hymn written in 1774. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to read it. Aren't you glad? That would be harsh. William Cooper, 1774. God moves in mysterious ways. The hymn says this, God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast. Unfolding every hour, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Be encouraged, brother, sister, behind a frowning countenance or providence, is a smiling face. You are loved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your love to us that is constant, perfect, faithful in every way. Though we deserve nothing, you have given us everything in your Son, including the humble faith necessary to receive those gifts from your hand. When we would have naturally argued with you, when we would have naturally been offended by you, when your word gives us the truth that we are not only sinners, but sinners deserving of your wrath, not only not deserving anything good, but deserving the very worst for all eternity, thank you that you humbled us to the point granted us meekness and submissiveness that we didn't argue with you. We believed you and cried out for mercy. And you heard our pleas for mercy. And you granted us the very things that we desired. Forgiveness of our sins, a right standing with you, 
a new identity as your children, freedom from the slavery we knew to sin and its penalty, death. You have given us, as we heard about tonight and as we often sing about, a hope that is real and forever, that will never be disappointed. You granted us the very heart that you demand that we could have never created in ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for such mercy to us in your Son, the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is not indifferent, was not indifferent to our plight, but had mercy upon our poor souls. And now that same mercy and love stands behind every circumstance we find ourselves in. What marvelous, amazing grace we know. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.